You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be in verses 17 through 20 that Jenna just read for us. As you're turning there, if you're new, my name's Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Citizens Church. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. Uh, We are, uh, this is our fifth week in a sermon series that we're just calling In Christ. You'll find that phrase or some similar phrase uh, throughout the New Testament, over a hundred times in the New Testament, and really being in Christ is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. One theologian called the phrase in Christ theological shorthand for the gospel itself. And what it means to be in Christ is it means that we're united with Him, And what we've been seeing is that means we're united to his identity. What's true about him is true about us. We're united to his story, what he has done, is doing, and will do. And we're united to his people. We are in Christ with one another. So every uh, Sunday in this series, we've just considered three things. It's been the exact same three-point outline, if you will. We're considering a truth to embrace in Christ, a lie to renounce through Christ, and a step to take with Christ. And so we're looking again at another passage of Scripture that is filled with in Christ language. I want to read it again for us. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. My son plays football for the Coromdeo Lions. He's in seventh grade there. Yeah, praise God. Um, and one of my favorite things about life right now is, is not just watching him play football, but talking with him about football. I love football. I, I played in high school. I use the word played really loosely there. I was on a team. Some would say I was the first string encourager, uh, and, and I was proud of that. Uh, but Asher and I connect over it. I love watching him. And we're at one of his games a couple weeks ago, and it's blistering hot, and a kid on the other team got overheated. And he ended up uh, being okay. He was, he was fine after the game. Uh, but there was a moment where he was in such bad shape and it was so serious that they stopped the game. And the ref runs across the field to the, our stands and yells to the stands for somebody to call an ambulance. And uh, the teams go to the sideline and they get on a knee and the cart comes onto the field and people get out their phones to call and make sure help is coming. And then in all of that, um, everyone's seated And in all of that, I see a woman running down the bleachers, and she gets to the field, and she's wearing sandals and can't run very fast, and so she takes her shoes off so she can run faster, and she sprints across the field to where the boy is, and then goes with him in the cart, and then waits for an ambulance to come. And my daughter leans over and says, who is that? And I said, I don't know. She was with our school. She wasn't with their school, but I I didn't know who she was. And my daughter says, well, what is she doing? And I said, I I think she's going to help. And then my daughter elbows me and says, you should go help. (laughs) And I thought, they don't need need my help. Unless they need a first string encourager, they don't need need my help. 
Uh, and I found out after the game that this, this woman is a pediatrician uh, in the area. And uh, so she was sitting in the press box and she saw what was happening. And as a doctor, she ran to the need. I, my mind just works this way. I, what I was struck by is I was struck by how stark a contrast it was in that moment, a very serious moment. There uh, was stands full of people, a very real serious thing happening, and one person gets up. You know, we prayed, we, we called, but we sat and mostly watched, and one person moved towards the need. Why? Because she could help. She uh, had knowledge and ability and experiences and a story that made her not only able to help, but responsible for helping. And so something was true about her that wasn't true about anybody else in the stands, to my knowledge. There wasn't another pediatrician there. There wasn't another doctor that was there. And she acted while everyone else watched. She got up. She moved towards the need because of who she was. She, she did what everyone would expect a doctor to do in a moment like that. Here's a truth to embrace in Christ. You are a minister. In Christ, you are a minister. You are in ministry if you're a Christian. We are living in a world full of needs that only Jesus can meet. Uh, people who don't know Jesus, people in need of the mercy and compassion of Jesus, chaos that needs the peace of Jesus, sin that needs the forgiveness of Jesus, hate that needs the love of Jesus. That's our world. Those are all of the needs that our world is filled with. And in Christ, you, Christian, have been entrusted with the responsibility to move towards those needs, not to sit and watch others help, but like a doctor going to meet a physical need because of who they are and what they know, all Christians are called to leave the stands and to move towards the needs of the world because of who you are and because of what you know, because of what Jesus has done in your life and declared to be true about you. So he, God is on mission in his world that his glory might fill all of his creation and everyone who is in Christ has been invited into that mission to stand and act instead of sitting and watching. You are a minister. There are two ideas that flesh this out in, in this passage. There's two in Christ statements that flesh this out. In Christ, you are a new creation, and in Christ, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 17, look with me again. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Uh, your Bible might say, and on the screen behind me, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, in Greek, it literally just reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. And so it's missing a subject and a verb, and so the subject and the verb have to be implied. And so some Bibles translate, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, she's a new creation. Or if anyone's in Christ, there is new creation. And both capture something that's true. Um, in Christ, you become something new. New life, forgiven, loved, new identity, new future, all that's true. Sometimes, though, we can hyper-individualize this verse, and it's like, I'm a brand new me, when in reality, it's not just that you've become something new, but it also means that you're part of something new. If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. And it's, this gets fleshed out in the next line. It says, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And it's describing the presence of the kingdom. So you find this kind of kingdom announcement around the word behold throughout the New Testament. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus says, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. 
Uh, Jesus in Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And it's speaking to the story the Bible tells that we talk about all the time around here. That there is this old world and then there is a new world that Jesus is bringing. The old is passing away and the new is coming. So just to be explicit, there's the world of sin and suffering and pain and violence and cancer and idolatry and rebellion. There's the world of hating God and hurting others. That's the old. Then there's the world of peace and salvation and forgiveness, uh, the world free of illness and tears and pain and doubt, the world where God is fully present and fully enjoyed by his people, the world where we are whole, where we never for a moment doubt that God loves us, the world of, of unbroken face-to-face communion with Jesus, that's the new. You have the old world and you have the new world. The story the Bible tells is that what has happened in and through the death, resurrection, and gracious reign of Jesus, he is bringing the new into the old. And so when it says, anyone who is in Christ, there is new creation, it's saying the old is passing away and the new is coming. And one of the, si- one of the signs of the new is your life, your life in Jesus. I think illustrations are helpful. You've heard this one before, but it's my favorite. Do you know what yesterday was? Saturday, September 23rd. You know what it was? The first day of fall. <laughs> the fall begins with the autumn equinox, according to a Tuesday morning Google search that I did not fact check. In the <laughs> northern hemisphere, the autumn equinox happens in September, and this year it fell on September 23rd, which means yesterday was the first day of fall. And here's what you're thinking. Somebody needs to tell Texas that, that yesterday was the first day of fall. Have you ever? You can respond here vocally. That's always allowed. Have you ever been more ready for fall in your entire life? (laughs) Summer was so brutal. I have never been this mad at Texas. It's like, thank you for no state income tax, but come on, it's an oven here. Um, 21 consecutive days of 100 degrees. The summer broke, some say it's the hottest summer on record. It was not. But it did break a record for the greatest number of consecutive hours of 80 degrees or hotter. Never have I been more ready for fall. Well, here's the truth. It's here. According to science, fall has, <laughs> fall has started. Um, and, and the reality is, while it doesn't quite feel like fall, there are some things that have felt fall-ish, Right? Uh, a week ago or so, there were cooler temperatures in the morning than there had been. It's, it's definitely hot today. It was hot yesterday. I think there's a cold front coming in tonight, uh, uh, according to Texas, a cold front coming in tonight. But the reality is, is that while it doesn't quite feel like it, there are signs that fall is here. The cooling temperatures, the signs of the season changing. Fall is both here and on its way, which means eventually summer will end. And if somebody asks, how do I know that fall has started? You could point to the signs of fall. You could point to cooler temperatures and say, see there, that's fall right there. And that's where we live in God's story. We live in God's story in a changing of the seasons kind of moment. We live in a changing of the world's kind of moment. The old world is still very present. It's still really hot, if you will, a sin and suffering and death, but salvation and the people of God, what we do here this morning is a sign. 
uh, are being united to Jesus. Those are signs that the new world is here. It's begun. It is on its way, and it'll be completed one day when Jesus returns. And here's what's astounding. I just think this is beautiful. According to the Bible, if somebody asks, what's the sign that the new world is here? What's the sign that the new season in Jesus has started? The Bible would point to you and say, there's new creation right there, your life. This person is a sign of the seasons changing because they are one who's loved and has been forgiven and is being changed into the likeness of Jesus. The old has passed, the new has come. So your life in Christ is a sign to this present season that the future season is coming. And then in verse 18, we get another in Christ phrase. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's two movements. Our life in Christ is it's part of new creation, and then he describes our life as being reconciled to God and then made ministers of reconciliation. And so there's a flow to that. In steps, we talk about it as gospel in, gospel out. Uh, the world, uh, those in Christ have been reconciled to God, and that word reconciled is a highly relational word. So one commentator made the point that if we think about the idea of justification, part of justification, there's a legal, uh, like we think often of maybe being in a courtroom and a judge looking and, and acquitting us of our sin, of declaring not guilty, and that's part of justification. If that's justification, then reconciliation is the judge inviting you over for dinner to get to know you to spend time with you. As one commentator said, reconciliation is God giving himself to us in friendship. So not only are we declared to be innocent in Christ, but then we are made friends of God. We are made right with God. The second part of that is we're ministers of reconciliation. To put it simply, we are not content that we have been made right with God. We want everyone else to know this God who has moved towards us in friendship. Here's a definition I thought was helpful. David Garland says this, the ministry of reconciliation, therefore, involves more than simply explaining to others what God has done in Christ. It requires that one become an active reconciler oneself. Like Christ, a minister of reconciliation plunges into the midst of human tumult to bring harmony out of chaos, reconciliation out of estrangement, and love in the place of hate. So if you take all this together, you are, Christian, if you're a Christian, you are a new creation minister of reconciliation. That's who you are. Uh, you are a new creation living in the midst of the old, and your life is a sign that the season is changing. You are reconciled to God, a friend of God, living in a world that is filled with people who are far from God. And all that, you are a minister to an old, unreconciled world. And I love the language. What that means is ministers plunge into the midst of human tumult, Harmony out of chaos, reconciliation out of estrangement, love in the place of hate. In other words, we get up when everyone else stays seated and move towards the needs that Jesus can meet. The truth to embrace in Christ is you are a minister. If you're a Christian, you're in Christian ministry. Here's the lie to renounce through Christ. God won't use me. He won't use me to help others. He won't use me to share the gospel. He won't use me to meet needs. And maybe even as I've been talking about it, you've felt it. It's like, it could be friends. It could be that you've been a Christian for a long time. And it's the first time you've ever been called a minister. 
Because it's so easy to think that that's something that, like I do, and other people on staff here at the church do, but not something that, that you do. But, and so you could hear, you know, you are a minister, and the response is like, no, not me. That's not what I do. That's what others have been paid to do, right? And I think there's two sides to that. Uh, the lie, God won't use me, it has a side of apathy that requires something. And then there's a side of insecurity. So it's apathy and insecurity. Uh, the apathy is we hear all of this and some of us simply don't care about people. We don't care. Don't care about the mission of God. Don't care that others don't know Jesus. Don't care that there are people who, who uh, day to day lack the things that we have in abundance. So we don't care about physical needs or spiritual needs of people. And we become so absorbed in our little world that we forget that God's world is so much bigger than our little world. And maybe with that, there's this thought that ministry, like being part of the mission of God, it's, it's an optional thing for some Christians. It's for professional Christians. So I'm a minister because I'm a pastor, but that's my job. And the, the problem with that thinking is the Bible. Uh, not just the verses we read, but, but like in Ephesians 4, it says shepherds and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So my job is to minister. All of this applies to me in my life. But it's also to lead this church among all the other leaders of this church to equip a church filled with ministers, which includes you. Um, and there are some that just don't care to be part of that. Um, there's a statistic that floats around the church world. I've heard it for years. Maybe you've heard it. But the idea is this, that 20%, in, any, in any given church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it means that there's this core group of people who shoulder the work of ministry. And then there's this 80% that are fine to watch the 20 do what they themselves have been called by God to do. I'm not making a push for volunteers. I'm not there are ways to minister that are not in any sort of formal capacity here at the church. And so many of you do that. That's not my point. Here's my point. If you can hear all of that and you're not moved at all, if there's no part of you that's asking, Am I a faithful minister? Am I being used by God? Am I the 80% or am I the 20%? Are there needs that God wants me to move towards? Listen, friends, if none of that is happening, if your response is a response of apathy, you don't care, then you have misunderstood what you claim to believe and have missed the very heart of God. It would be like a doctor who sees a need, knows they can help, and is too selfish to get up. If your response to being a minister is being, being invited to the mission of God, you shrug your shoulders and say, look, that's not for me. I love you. I love you. And you need to repent and ask God to change your heart. There's another side, and I think for many of us, the lie that God won't use me, or even just our relationship to all this. I, I imagine a room like this, we're hearing, and it's like, yes, I know these things are important. I know that God has plans to, to use me that are just, you know, beyond my own relationship with God, but it's filled with all this insecurity. Um, like, if you've tried to, have you tried to share your faith in the past five years? Have you thought, have you thought about sharing your faith with someone in the past five years? If you have, uh, likely what you've felt is you have felt um, how complicated that is right now. <laughs> like, um, it's easy to feel like if you're going to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe what we believe, you have to be an expert in the Bible. You have to be an apologist. You have to be proficient in political theory. You have to be well-versed in all social issues, and then you have to have an airtight answer to a host of difficult questions that you might even have yourself. And so the insecurity comes out as, I don't know enough to be used by God. 
I don't know enough. I, I'm scared to open my mouth and then what comes back at me is something I'm just like, you, you freak out, you don't know what to say. Or we feel like we have our own problems. We feel disqualified by our own sin and our own struggles. Maybe even as we've been talking and you've heard that you are a minister, the thing you think about is all the things that would disqualify you from being a minister. It's like, I'm way too much of a mess to be a minister. And my life is filled with fear and doubt and lust and anger. And so the insecurity comes out as I'm not good enough to be used by God. Or we feel like God doesn't love us. We have these doubts about how, what God thinks about when he thinks about us. And so to hear, you know, you are a minister, it can feel like, you know, some sort of cold boss working us to, forcing us to work overtime when we'd rather be home with our family, right? And, and I guess that we could still obey out of some sort of like begrudging obedience, but nobody lasts very long in ministry if they feel like they're being used but not loved, not cherished. So that insecurity comes out as I'm not loved enough to be used by God. God won't use me. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not loved enough. Listen, friends. You are a minister. If you're a Christian, um, you know, we've been talking the past couple weeks about identity and how Christian identity is identity that is given, not earned. It is received, not achieved. And part of that identity is, is this. None of that insecurity, as real as it is, none of that makes you any less of a minister. Now, we can be faithful within that, or we can be unfaithful. We can stay in the stands, or we can move towards the needs. But it's not ours to decide whether we're in ministry or not. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. I feel every single one of those insecurities. I feel them deeply. Um, there is more that I need to learn. I know that there, there is so much that I don't know. Uh, but as Keller says, Tim Keller, we're not offering an airtight argument, we're offering an airtight person. And everyone in Christ can at the very least say, I have found something in Jesus that I've only found in Jesus. And we're not good enough. Goodness, we're not. And we need to take sin in our life seriously and be faithful to become more and more like Jesus. But we're not ministering out of our own righteousness. We're ministering out of Christ. God has always and only used really broken people to do beautiful things in his world. If I waited until I was good enough before God to preach sermons, I'd never open my mouth. But God lets me do this. He lets me, not because I've cleaned up my life, but because every time I stand in front of you, I'm clothed in Christ. And everywhere you go and everywhere you stand, you are clothed in Christ. In fact, you know what? Those who feel like they don't need a savior do a really bad job talking to other people about him. But those who know their need, those who know, I did not just need Jesus then, but I need Jesus now, and I'll need him tomorrow, and I'll need him for the rest of my life. You know what that is? That's an honest, beautiful testimony. You should say that to someone. You should tell someone that. And God, do, God does not use you and then love you. God does not even love you and then use you. God loves you, and then he loves you, and then he loves you, and then he keeps loving you, and part of his love for you is expressed in his inviting you to be a part of what he's doing. I was working on a project at our house. Uh, I'm in the backyard, and my five-year-old comes out and says, Dad, can I help? And my initial thought was, that's really going to slow me down. Her help is sometimes unhelpful. Um, but I just love her to pieces. She, I just love being with her. 
And uh, I love being together. I like doing things together. And so I said, yes, I'd, I'd love for you to help. I did not need her help, but I wanted to be with her. And then she looked at me and said, that's okay. I'd, I'd rather play with my toys. It, it, she didn't want to help. She just wanted to know if helping was an option. And then she went inside. My heart as a father is mixed and really, really messy. But in that moment, before God and before you, there was a sincere desire, a sincere desire to let her help, not because she's useful, but because I like having her around and I delight in her. What if something like that is true about the heart of our Father in heaven? He does not need us. He doesn't. But he delights in working in us and working with us and working through us. We are not first workers in the field. We are children in his home. And the Father invites us to be a part of what he's doing. He calls us as ministers into ministry. And that's an expression of his love for us. It is, I just need you to hear this. It is a joy to be a part of what God's doing. It's a joy. It is a distinct privilege to be used by God, to be with God. There, there's just nothing like it. So here's the truth to embrace. You're a minister. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't want you uh, or, or won't let you be a part of his glorious work. You are a minister. Here's a step to take with Christ. Move towards the need. Move towards the need. Um, don't stay seated, friends. Don't simply watch. And you might be asked, there's a personal component to this, and then there's a corporate component. In about five minutes, I'll tell you of all of these wonderful ways you can partner with the church to help ministries and organizations. But I want to spend some time first just talking about you and your world. The starting place is to ask, what ministry has God already given me? What ministry has God already given you? Well, how do you know that? Great question. Who's around you? Who's around you? If you think about Sunday to Sunday, who's around you? The names and the faces of the people you work with, live with, uh, have shared hobbies with, your spouse, your children, your roommate, your classmate, who is around you? God has placed them around you and he's given you a ministry to them. So uh, mom and dad, if you have kids in the home, your primary ministry is to them. And that, that is part of the mission of God. That's part of what it means to be a minister, to love and lead them, not just as their dad and mom, but as a new creation, as a minister of reconciliation. You work somewhere, you have a job, and maybe it's complicated to be a Christian where you work. Maybe it's really easy to be a Christian where you work, but that workplace that you're in, God has placed you there as a minister. Uh, listen, if you're a student, if you're in college, if you're in high school, if you're in junior high, um, you are walking around a school filled with people who need Jesus. And maybe being a Christian makes you feel weird. It feels like you're the only one in your school who believes what you believe. Uh, listen, be, I need to tell you something. Being a Christian is weird. It's weird. Uh, it is not popular. It never has been. In fact, the version of Christianity that tries to be popular makes it even weirder. <laughs> but you're not a fool. You're not a fool. And you're not alone. It's true. And it is worth feeling like an outcast to be faithful to Jesus. And he's with you. And he's placed you in that school partly to be a light. Goodness, to be kind in a place that can be so cruel. To be encouraging in a place filled with a lot of bullying, maybe. To 
see people as made in the image of God and to offer love to others in a place where love can be hard to find. You are a new creation minister walking the halls of your school. Who is around you? Where has God placed you? Uh, here's who I'm sensitive to. Maybe you're thinking, maybe names and faces have come to mind and you're like, I just don't even know what to do. I don't know where to start. What if we just did this? What if you asked God to bring to mind one Christian you can minister to and one non-Christian you can begin praying for? Start there. One Christian you can minister to and one non-Christian you can begin praying for. So if there's somebody who's a Christian who knows Jesus, I'm intentionally including this because I want to make this, I think it's really important to understand that it is as much a part of the mission of God to encourage and love the believers in your life as it is to pursue and love the unbelievers in your life. In fact, the passage that we're in this morning is written to Christians who were failing to love other Christians, and Paul calls them to be better ministers to one another. So if there's a Christian around you in need who needs to remember the truth, they need a ministry of presence, when you move towards that need, you're being a minister to them. And then start praying for one person who's not a Christian. Of the people that are already in your life, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, or you don't even know if they know Jesus, just start praying. Maybe you've been praying, and it's time to try to have a conversation but at the very least, have at least one person and you have them in mind and, and you're saying, this is somebody I'm going to move towards with the gospel. I'm going to move towards them as a minister. I'm gonna, be a, I'm gonna pray that God would use me so that they would move from old to new, so that they would move from unreconciled to friend of God. You know what will come out of this? If we take this seriously, um, and we move towards needs, we're gonna discover our own needs. We're gonna discover our own needs. Um, like, you'll realize that you have a lot of your own questions about what we believe and have a lot of doubts maybe about what we believe as you try to talk to other people about it. Don't ignore that. Seek out answers. Raise your hand. Ask for help. Tell someone here. We would love to help. We don't have all the answers, but we believe in a God who's big enough for all of our questions. Or you realize that you need to heal. You're hearing all of this and you're in a season where you would just say, I don't have anything to give. God says in his word, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out. What it means is God does not love you only when you're useful. Maybe what you discover is that your cup feels pretty empty and what you need is you need a season to be ministered to. Raise your hand and ask for that. There's space for that. Maybe what you realize is that you need training. You need to learn how to do this. You need to learn how to have conversations. Don't ignore that. We want to help. We have a class that just started. It meets Monday nights at 6.30. It's called Mission of God. It's a great starting place to grow as a minister. There are 27 people in it right now, which means there's a ton of room for you. You can email Chad for more info. What you will find, if we try to take this seriously, is we'll discover the ways that we need to grow the needs that we have. And you know what that is? That's God's love for us, pursuing us. As you walked in this morning, you saw tables in the foyer that we usually don't have in the foyer. Everything I just said, take to heart. That's the personal component to this. I wanna share with you some ways corporately as a church you can partner with us. Here's who's in the foyer. Africa New Life is a child sponsorship organization in Rwanda. 
It seeks to help meet physical and spiritual needs of families in Rwanda, a place that is still recovering from all the atrocities that happened there. And our church has been involved with them under the leadership of Chad and Cassie Lawson for years. Uh, If you were here at the beginning of the service, you saw a video full of our church members in Rwanda this past summer. The work that God is doing is amazing. Something like 130 members right now are sponsored just by, uh, 130 families are sponsored just by members of Citizens. And so God is using the men, women, and children here at Citizens to bring life and healing to a people in Rwanda. And, And for those who are really involved there, what they'd say is God is using them to bring life and healing even to us. They had, at the beginning of the morning, 50 children who needed to be sponsored. And I uh, challenged the 9 a.m. To, to sponsor all 50 of them, and I told them that I didn't trust you to do it. I'm so sorry. It was, I didn't mean it. I just wanted to motivate them by making it competitive. Uh, there are 18 left to be sponsored, and there are another 25 that are online that you can also help to sponsor. Isaac and Esther are missionaries in Kenya. They are ministering in a part of the country that is filled with all kinds of needs. They're preaching the gospel. They're ministering to addicts. They are helping women and children who are being trafficked or have been trafficked. They are bright lights in a dark place. They need people to pray. They need people to give. Madi is our newest citizen staff member. She's one of the ministers on the... Yes, we can do that. And she's building her support team, uh, people who will pray uh, for her and people who will, con- con- uh, will give to help her continue, min- continue to minister at UTD. Listen, friends, uh, what God is doing on the campus of UTD is incredible. God is uh, saving college students. He's bringing them to faith through our ministers that are there. God is also uh, cultivating a zeal in college students for the glory of God. He's cultivating a hunger in them to see their campus transformed by the gospel. And Madi is a really important part of that work. And just to be candid with you, she needs a lot of support right now. Would you please consider supporting her? Amazon Outreach is a a ministry to churches in Brazil. They have the opportunity to go on short-term mission trips down the Amazon River and help support those churches and minister to the people in the villages there. The bonus there is you get to spend more time with Brenda Holmes, who's amazing. Refugee Relief is our local ministry to people who've been relocated from their home country and have very, uh, they have great physical needs. They just have, uh, they need mercy and compassion from Christians who have an abundance of that to give in Jesus. And then there's opportunities to share Jesus. East West Ministries is an evangelism ministry that helps Christians share their faith and make disciples both here and around the world. We have, we are fortunate to have a lot of East West staff who call Citizens Church home. Here's my ask in all of that. Here's my ask. Would you go to at least one table and ask, how can I help? I know you can pray. Most of us can give. I know you can pray. Would you go to at least one table and ask, how can I help? If you go to Africa New Life, they're going to tell you you can start by sponsoring a child. If you go to one of our missionaries, they're going to tell you you can help by praying and giving. But would, you, would everyone just go to one table and ask, how can I help? And then the other thing that you can do, friends, is you can pray. Uh, Chad and our team here put together a prayer guide for this week. Most of you can access it uh, online. It's a, there's a digital copy of it. And it just will help you know how to pray for all of the ways that God is working in and through Citizens Church. You'll learn the names of our missionaries who are already on the field. You'll learn, learn the names of, of work that's happening both here locally and around the world. And the ask, the simple ask, is just to spend every day this week praying. Beloved, 
Everybody, lean in. You are a minister. In Christ, you are part of Christian ministry. Don't do nothing. Don't do nothing. Don't stay seated. Be the one who runs to the need and moves when everyone else stays seated. Jesus is worth it. The world needs it, and Jesus is worth it. We'll end with our catechism. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Citizens Church, as a people who are in Christ, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. You are so good to us. It's a joy to be a part of what you're doing. I pray, God, that the image we would have of you in all of this is the image of a loving Father who delights in working in and through his children who he cherishes, cherishes. We are ministers, God. Every Christian in the room is a minister. Would you confront our apathy? Would you give courage to our insecurity? And may we respond in faithful obedience to King Jesus, who is worthy of all that we have and so much more. We love you. Amen.